But let's go with that. Do all to the glory of God. This is what, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. And so we touched the base on this at the end and we went through a lot of information last week. Um, I want to emphasize, this is really what Paul is talking about in everything about Corinthians. So if you had to remember one passage, not there's so many good ones in there, but one passage to go, hey, what is he talking about in Corinthians? This is what he's referring to, okay? His focus is, it doesn't matter so much whether you're eating or drinking, okay? It doesn't matter about those details. Some things are important to be right on, and we want you to make sure you make wise decisions about those things, but your priority focus is, hey, is this glorify God? And does this become a blessing for those around you? Are you a stumbling walk, okay? Or are you a blessing, okay? And that's the intent and motivation that we have to look. And when we look through the next chapters, we're gonna go through in terms of when we come to spiritual gifts and you're gonna see a lot of that. Sometimes people can get wound up thinking, ah, I'm this or I'm that, and we get so wound up because it focuses on ourselves and our own pride. Keep this in mind. The focus is not about me. It's really not about me. It's about God, okay? Our lives are about him. It's his story. That's what history is really about, his story and his life through us. And when his life is lived through us, then it's something amazingly beautiful and it blesses others, and more importantly, draws others to him, which is what our focus and our desire is. Okay, because it says here, for the profit of many that they may be saved. His focus is always salvation focus. How do I comport myself that others may be saved? Okay, what do I need to do that others get to see Jesus? And that's the thing and priority that we need to have. Too much, we're focused on self, what I want to do, what I'm freedom. And the whole Corinthian church was talking about their freedoms, what they get to do, what they're entitled to do. And what he's saying is, again, it's really not about that. Yes, you have freedom in Jesus, but it's not for your sake. Your freedom in Jesus is for the glory of God and to bless others. Keep that at the forefront in your mind at every, at every moment. Okay, so that's just to, to finish off the last chapter from last week, but I also want it as a segue because the next verse in the beginning of chapter 11, verse 1, it says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now, we've, we, I've mentioned this before, and I want to mention this again. The original letter to the church at Corinth did not have chapter breaks or verse numbers. Okay, those were added in the 11th and 12th century. None of that was present before that time. For the first thousand plus years of the church, there were no chapter breaks or verse numbers. They just read the scrolls, they just read the parchments and the papyrus that they had, okay? And they just read the word. So 
there's some debate and some discussion, should this verse be part of chapter 10? And to complete that, because Paul says, I want you to follow what I'm doing, focusing on glorifying God, pleasing others, not being a stumbling block, so that others may seek Jesus. Or is he talking about, hey, what's coming forward that we're going to talk about today in the first part of chapter 11? Now, just to also to let you know, I'm not covering the entire chapter. There's too much. And there's two separate ideas. The first talk part is talking about head covering and women and men, and the second part is talking about communion. I'm not going to address the part on communion today. Okay? It's just too, they just don't connect. Okay? And I almost think there should have been a chapter break there because there are really two different concepts there. Okay? So it's too much, and I don't want to overwhelm you. There's enough <laughs> to overwhelm you as it is. <laughs> There's a lot. Okay, so look at 1 Timothy 4.12, and I don't think I gave you that as a scripture verse to look at. Be a, an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I'll repeat, be an example to the believers in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. That's what Paul's saying. So he's not telling Timothy to be. That's what he's doing. Is what does it mean? So when you're talking about imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ, imitate me as I imitate Christ, these are the essential qualities talking about. We can also share the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That self-control, that moderation is important because it's not, about, it's not about me. It's about others. It's about what I need to do to restrain my flesh, okay, to die to self so that others may see God's glory. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians 11, so that imitate me as I imitate Christ, is it referred to what I need to do for the gospel as we touched base on chapter 10 last week and I just mentioned a little bit already? Or do I follow my example as I follow God's order and authority in the church? Because that's what we're going to talk about now. Okay, so the first verses we're going to address that it, that speak to that is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So, the Greek word for head is kephale, K-E-P-H-A-L-E, okay? And it can mean three different things. When we talk to somebody who's the head, we can talk about them having the position of prominence, okay? They're the chief, they're the head, okay? They're the one who's the most important person. It can talk about the head as the source, like the head of the river, okay? Starts at the mountaintop, the beginning, Okay, that's the head. That's where it first came forth. Okay, or it can talk about authority. So that makes it a little bit challenging to understand what it is. And that's why you need to be 
students of the word because the best way to understand the word is to compare it against the word. Not against our own reasoning, our own understanding, but to depend on the Holy Scriptures. Okay? God's Spirit will speak through us to it, but depend on Scripture to interpret Scripture. Okay? And that's the most important thing we need to go by because people will distort things based on their own personal agendas. So, what we're talking about head, and I'm going to address it and explain why head means authority. It means to have the appropriate responsibility to lead and the matching accountability. So it's the leadership and accountability. So with, you know, you talk about that in terms of power, and I know we don't like secular things, but I will quote Spider-Man when Uncle Ben told him, with great power comes great responsibility. The point is, there is, when you have that authority, there, it's always accompanied with responsibility. People think authority means privilege. When you're a kid, you think being an adult, ah, you get to do what you want. No, you do what you don't want. That's what being an adult is, doing what you don't want. Okay, so it's not about, authority is not about your power or lordship of others. It's really about your responsibility. As Christ was that example for us, Okay, so it talks about in Scripture. What does that mean? It means to submit as Christ did. So you look back in that verse, it says, and the head of Christ is God. Okay, and we're going to talk a little bit about the order within a church. So Lowell Johnson, and I love the pattern. I was able to pull this from the Internet. He talked about God addresses, God is a God of order. If you look through the Old Testament, you look through the Torah, and you look at, or the Pentateuch, the first five books, and you get to see all the specific details that God goes through about why the priests had to be adorned the way they did, about the threads, about how the tabernacle was constructed, about everything that they had to do. It's very specific. I mean, it's hard to go through that because you're like, why is it so detailed, right? God is a God of order. And we can be grateful for that. The fact that we live in this incredibly complex universe, much more complex than we understand, and the more we know, the more we realize how little we actually do know. We're just continually amazed by exponentially greater realms of knowledge that we don't know. Like we see only 3% of the visible universe. 3% is visible light and energy. 97% is dark matter, dark energy of the universe, like, I don't even know how to wrap my head around that, okay? The reason I say that is God is that good, he's that supreme, and he's that ordered, okay? And so, as he does order in creation, as he prescribed order within scripture, he has us have order, and it shows, it'll show up in four ways that um, Lowell Johnson mentioned. First, he addresses what's called personal order, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Look at Hebrews 7.25. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is something that we as evangelicals have long believed. All Protestants did. We have direct access to God. We don't have to have an intermediary. Okay? We have direct access. Jesus is personal and wants to hear from us. He has that personal relationship. I've shared with you before, for me, when somebody told me that when I was a teenager to pray to a personal God, that's the paradigm shift. That was a change for me because in other faiths, God is impersonal, distant, transcendent, and away. But Jesus is our friend, and Jesus is, wants to hear about our struggles. But also, he's the person that we can go to to confess our sins, and he's the one who's our intercessor. He's the one who goes before the Father to say, I got him covered. Okay, so that personal order is we now have direct access to God through that. So every believer has that privilege. Okay, whether their background was a Jew or a Gentile, whether they're male or female, we all have that. The second part that he talks about, and this is where this chapter comes into play, is in family order. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21, through to chapter 6, verse 4. It's a lot. Submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or, or any such thing, but that she sh should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are all members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well within, with you and you may live long on earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So, family order. Who's on top? Christ. Always. Personal order. Who's on top? Christ. Family order. Who's on top? Christ. Then man, then woman, then children. Okay? In terms of authority. Okay? Okay, so 
They're talking about something, and we'll get into it a little bit. Actually, I'll get to that. Let me, let's, I don't want to jump ahead. The third aspect is church order. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, consider the, considering the outcome of their conduct. So within the church structure, okay, who's on top? Christ. Always Christ. Christ manifests in the word. So the word takes precedence, okay, because the word is God, okay? So Christ first, pastor, teacher, then, you know, your servant leaders, deacons, if you want to call them, and then the members, okay? And so there's a hierarchy. There's a ranking of that in authority in terms of the conduct within the church. Now, that's within the church. That's not the same as within the house. It's not the same within the business. Okay? But if it has to do with those spiritual matters, that's what it's addressing. Now let's look at the last one. Governmental order. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of the wrath, but also for conscience sake. For though because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually, continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, Customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And look at First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for praise of those who do good. Wow, what if you don't like what the government's doing? What if you disagree and you're not sure what they're doing is good? Hmm? Rebel. Rebel, right. Rebellion is as witchcraft. Yeah, rebel. Um, that's what we've done. What he's saying here in scripture is pretty clear. Do we get to cherry pick what we want to listen to or not agree to? No, just like we don't get to cherry pick of the word. Now, same structure. Who's first and foremost? Christ. Our allegiance is to Christ first and foremost. So if the government does something that's against Christ, we have to go to Christ. And if that means we go to jail, then we go to jail. But we're not to rebel in that spirit. We go as Christ did. So that's the hard part for us because we think we have the right to, to fight and I'm not saying that God may not cause, call us to do that, but it has to be very clear that's what the Lord's doing. And we're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for his glory. 
and for the blessings of others. That's always been the pattern. That's everything that's been the motivation that we do. Okay? And it has to stay that way. And that's the challenge for us because we see things politically and we don't agree and we're wondering, you know, there's a lot that's happening right now. Then we're going, is the government good or is the government evil? You know, we're one, seriously wondering those things. I get it. But ultimately, they're there to create order and try to do things. And so in that sense, we still have to accord them respect and give them what's due. Honor to whom honor is due. And the honor is not because that they themselves are honorable. It's because God is honorable and he's the one who commands us to do so. That's the challenge that we have. So these are the things that we need to really consider in how we comport ourselves. We talked about personal order, Christ first, that we have direct access, family order, Christ, man, woman, child, church order, Christ, pastor, teacher, deacons, and then members, and then government order. Christ, the government, and then us as citizens. Okay? So everything that we do, that should be the first and foremost. Okay? You may have to go to prison, just like they're doing in China, just like they're doing in India. You may have to go to prison for your faith. You may disagree with the government because your first allegiance is to Christ and you're doing it for the sake of the gospel to your blessing. And sometimes going to jail is the best seminary you could go to. That's what they say in China. They're not ready to lead until you go to prison. Wow, that's a different way of looking at things. But I, this is the philosophy that we have to understand. What does it mean by authority? Okay, so... It talks about here about women. Let's go back a little bit to that verse that we talked about in Corinthians. So I've just explained a lot to you about the different aspects of authority, and that's going to be spoken over and over again. So the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So what it talks about in this authority and with woman, the head, is man has authority over woman. It doesn't mean that man is better than a woman, that woman is lesser than a man. Just as Christ was not lesser than the Father. Okay, this is really important. Okay, they use a big word. It talks about ontological subordination. That's a word that basically says in substance, in the actual essence, Christ and God are the same. There is nobody less or greater than that. That's the same with men and women. In the substance and essence, men are not greater than women. Women in are no way lesser than men. Before Christ, God created them. We are, Adam refers to man, created them, man and woman. There is that part that we are created, that ontologically, in the essence and core of who we are, as spiritual beings, we are equal. Okay, and in no way is one lesser, but in authority, in relational, and then you talk about relational subordination, okay, another fancy word is economic, that we think economics means money, but it basically has to do with the relationship. Relational subordination, that means there is a difference. Jesus said, okay, he said, I will submit to the Father's will, and we'll go through some verses about Jesus 
talking about his subordination. So, um, continually, Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. So the nature of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God, ontologically, core essence, exactly the same. Not one is greater than the other. That's why when we pray, sometimes we can use them interchangeably because they're all God. In relationship, God was the one in authority who decides and prescribes the time, who has the knowledge of that. Jesus is the one who submits to become our, our sacrifice and savior. The Holy Spirit submits to become our counselor to assist us. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is less important than God the Father or Jesus. I think that's important for us to really grasp that and understand that. And it's hard because we don't think that way. So we're going to go on to next verses in 4 to 6 of 1 Corinthians. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Now that's kind of a weird thing to hear, and you're like, what is he actually talking about? Okay. So we're going to go back a little bit about customs at that time. And one of the interesting things when I got to go to Greece is I got, had a chance to go to Corinth. And you get to see on this big hill where the city is, there's, there was the temple of Aphrodite. Okay, and Aphrodite was the goddess of love. And so her acolytes, those who worked there, were basically prostitutes. And how they got money is all these sailors, as I mentioned earlier, who were coming through, the, through there to connect from the um, Aegean to the Adriatic um, seas, they would, they, would, they would come down and attract them to the temple or lay with them so that they can get money and they would pay money and the money would go to the temple. They were temple prostitutes, okay? And how you knew they were temple prostitutes? Their hair was cut. They wore short hair or even because of cleanliness, even went bald. So when they say shorn, the actual Greek translation is be as bald, okay? Say shorn, but basically, if you're gonna keep your hair short, you might as well be as bald. If you're not caring where things are. And so it's like covered, not covered. What does that have to do with anything? In the custom at that time, okay, the culture of that time, women covered as a sign of modesty. Now, Roman women covered, and so Paul knows that. Corinth had both, it's in Greece, so it had definitely Greek culture as well as Roman culture. It was under Rome, so there's Roman culture superimposed on Greek culture. High-class Greeks would still have fancy hairdos, and it'd be some of the stuff that you would see on some of the movies. Um, Roman women tended, especially most of the people who were not of high society, had their head covered. If you weren't covered, that means you were a loose and wanton person or a temple prostitute. And that's how they identified within Corinth. The point, okay, so within that custom, there was no question that wearing a covering is a sign of modesty, okay, and 
um, humility. The other term they use sometimes is veil. Now we see that in other countries of the world, some of you see um, you know, the hijab that the Muslim women wear and they wear the full burqa and the hijab where they're completely covered. That's not the setup that we're talking about. Often it just meant like a thin scarf that's worn over the head. You see that in India, I've got to see that. Turkey, the women wear scarves like that. Even women I've seen in Poland have that. So it's not unusual to see women with a covering of that. Um, men, on the other hand, it says men are to be uncovered. Men did not wear coverings. Now that's changed, okay? Jewish men now, you wear the little yarmulke or you wear the shawl, the prayer shawl, and that's where they pray covered. That really didn't become common practice until the fourth century. But at that time, that was still not the custom. And more importantly, there's a more important issue than all of that. And that is what Paul is talking about here about relationship to authority. Because the whole idea of covering and not covering has to do with authority. The intention that he's trying, Paul's saying is, men, don't cover because you have God as your covering. And I want you to be uncovered that you can show others that you have that freedom of Christ. Okay? Women, on the other hand, I want you to cover. I want you to cover so that you're modest and you're in submission and that man is your authority because that's who you, you and we'll talk about, that's God is to glorify, man is to glorify God and woman actually glorifies men. So, Now, what they're talking about, praying, praying is talking to God. Prophesizing is talking about God to people. Whenever I'm prophesizing, I'm talking about God to people. Okay, so what they're talking about is a public forum, a public area. Does that mean they have to keep it covered all the time? No. Women do not have to do that. That means in a public setting, when you're in the church, especially at the customs at that time, we want you to be showing decorum. Why? Because you're not to be a stumbling block for others. Number one. Number two, you're to glorify God. And being modest and humble where you're not a distraction, that's the other thing in terms of beauty and, and address. They didn't want women to be a distraction for the other men there. You know, we have a challenge in our society where because of appearance where things are, what women's attire is very distracting. It takes us away and pulls us away from things of the spirit. Okay, from there at that custom, that time when a woman exposed her hair, beautiful hair that they often wore, that was a distraction. Hair was associated with lust and desire and that's how men got enticed away from things of the spirit. And so Paul says, don't be a stumbling block to the men that are there, wear a covering. It shows your modesty, it shows your submission to your, your spouse. So we're also going to talk about why it's important to respect the principle of headship in the church. Verses 7 to 10. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So, let's look back here in 
Genesis. Genesis 2.18. Why did God create Eve? I will make him a helper. It's not good for man to be alone. That's exactly what it says. I will make a helper. God created man to have a relationship. God knew that we needed more than just the spirit. We need somebody alongside us. Eve was created from Adam. You never hear anything else about the animals where the one gender is created separately from the other gender. They're created together, male and female, all that, all that time. Okay, God had planned that at the beginning. So he talked about that in creation. So you hear that he created them, the plural of male and female, and they're both named Adam. So in some respects, Eve is also Adam in terms of being mankind or humanity, but also the distinction is separate. Eve was created to be a helpmate. Okay, to be a helper. Okay, look at Genesis 2.22. Okay, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. I love what Craig Keener says. He said, God created woman distinct from man, partly so that man would no longer be alone, the phrase there translated helper suitable praises woman's strength rather than subordinates her. Okay? Helper is used more often of God than of anyone else in the Old Testament. Suitable means corresponding or appropriate to, as in equal. Okay? Woman was thus created because man needed her strength not to be his servant. Okay, so that's not the, this is the cultural thing that people have mistaken and misapplied when they look at that. Helper means, oh, you do what I want. Okay, that's not the primary focus. The primary focus is the glory of God. So getting back to the covering, Grudem, Dr. Wayne Grudem said, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Okay? He's not denying that women were created in the image of God. He is simply saying that there's an abiding difference between men and women that should be reflected in the way they dress and act in the assembled congregation. One of those differences is that man in relationship to women has a particular role role of representing God or showing what he is like. So when we have our head uncovered, when we praise and prophesy, we represent God. We are an icon, an image of God. And women in that relationship shows the excellence of man from whom she was created. Okay? And we'll talk about next about their interdependence to realize, again, it's about role, not about status, not about power, not about who's more important. Now, as men, I want to emphasize this of authority. For example, most of you know where I work. When I work in the emergency room, I ultimately have the authority and responsibility for the patient care. 
is made very clear that even when I talk to another physician or a surgeon that I need them to come, ultimately, until he comes and assesses that patient, my authority is more important than his or hers. Once he sees that patient, he can assume that authority because he's now taken that relationship on. But solely on the phone call, ultimately he has to, or she has to defer to my authority. Likewise for the nurses. If there's a mistake made, it ultimately falls on me. That's part of the responsibility. Same thing likewise here in the church. Ultimately, when people leave where things go and when happen, and you've seen that within the church, certainly also within this church, the responsibility of that burden goes on to the leadership, ultimately to the pastor. In a family and household, it's the same thing for men in that relationship. And one of the things they talk about is, especially since the 60s, men have not really stepped into that role as well. Our society has created a culture where we've created this other stage in the last hundred years called adolescence. And now the new term of adult adolescence, where you're in your mid-twenties and still basically a child. Thirties, still a child. This next generation, we see this, is they become so dependent that they're still dependent that they're well into their forties still on their parents' cell phone service. You're still dependent on that. And I'm letting you know these things to understand what it means to take responsibility, to take ownership. When you're, in a, when you're responsible, when you have that authority, it means we're called to take that responsibility and burden for ourselves. It's about laying down our lives. That's why when you walk with your spouse, you walk on the street side. So if a car hits, you get taken out first. Okay? That's what it means to be a man. Okay? These are th things about that authority. You lay down your life as Christ laid down your life. You take that burden of taking care of your family. You sacrifice your life for the benefit of your family. That's what a man does. That's what he does. He lays down his life as Jesus laid down the life for the church. And that's always been the example until the last 40 years. There's been a huge change in that focus, and I'm going to let you know a little bit more that citizens don't have the respect for government authority. Students don't respect. We've lost entire respect for government, for all authority, for police officers. Look what's happened in the last few years. We've lost respect for the family. They've, you know, with The Simpsons and other TV shows, the dad is no longer esteemed as the wise person in the family. He's this dumb bozo who can't get anything done. None of that, that whole respect structure. There's been an active attempt to undermine the family, undermine basic precepts that we've been accustomed to. So the world, or at least the Western world, is changing, turning upside down the definitions of what's right and wrong. We have to abide by the Word of God. We have to stick to what the Word tells us what to do. And we're not doing it to, for ourselves. Now there's been a problem within the church with authority. And we get to see that where men have abused that authority, where religious leaders, pastors have abused that authority. You see that in Hollywood with the Me Too. You see the same thing with pastors and youth pastors taking advantage. One of the reasons why a daughter's not connected in the church is because youth pastor with their friend. Okay? There's been abuse of authority. There hasn't been the accountability, hasn't been the transparency. And that's been happening in the church. And the devil has a heyday with that. He loves it. And he says, look, see, you guys are no different than the world. 
And he's asking us to be humble leaders. So when Paul's talking about this to the Corinthian church, he's saying for both sides that your responsibility of doing things is men you need to lead, but you need to lead as Jesus did and lead well. Women, you need to submit to the man's leadership, even if you don't agree, just like we need to submit to the government, even if we don't agree. As long as it does not besmirch the name of Christ, as long as it in no way jeopardizes the word of God or the mission that God wants to do in terms of sharing the good news to people. So it means in terms of meeting and fellowshipping that he's prescribed us to be able to do, we need to be able to do that because that's what the word tells us to do. If it means sharing the message, we need to be able to do that. It means, you know, to, to bind the wounded and do all the things that he's commanded us the church to do, we will go forth in that regardless of that because we're doing it for the sake of Christ even more. But that means not for our advantage. We may have to suffer for that. We'd be willing to suffer for that because that's what Christ is willing to do. So I will move on quickly to the next, the last verses. Actually, we'll do 11 through 16. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For a woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. So 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands likewise dwell with them, women, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Everything we talked about, about being servants. Okay, it's not about you. God's going to, it talks about an ax and in Joel, God's going to come out, his spirit, his power, his, 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 his uh, gifts are going to be both to men and women. Okay, women will be prophesying as well. They'll be speaking in tongues. They'll be sharing the message. They'll be proclaiming the word. That's what's going to happen. It said that in the word and they're going to have those gifts. God has not gifted women less than he's gifted men in that regard. They are gifted as God described prescribes it to be as God has granted as much to fulfill his purpose that he wants for the church. Okay? And the last part, verses 13 to 16. Uh, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Paul's adding emphasis upon emphasis. He's basically just like, get to, the, you know, get with it, guys. It's pretty clear. You know, men go bald. Look at, you know, Pastor Glenn talked about, you see some of the pictures, he had long hair when he was young, and, you know, him with long hair now would be not a pretty sight to see. Okay? Okay. And, uh, <laughs> what? Well, I know, but I mean, if you let the hair that you have left grow long, it wouldn't be pretty. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. If you had the hair, like, you know, you could say the thing with Ken back there. You know, it wouldn't be pretty, okay? <laughs> the problem with that is like with me. My hair sitting on top, you know, receding in the widow's peak. You know, we start to lose our hair. That's the testosterone. That's natural for men to lose hair. So keeping it short is appropriate. And that's what they did back then. So in most cultures, what men do now, okay? Women tend to have long hair. Vast majority of societies. <coughs> they have long hair, okay? Most of us think that women with long hair tends to look aesthetically pleasing, 
Okay, and that's the custom then. And Paul's saying, look, don't be weird about it. Okay, don't try to, just because you got freedom, it's not about you. If this is what the custom is, abide by those things. So some places they had covering, they put hats on, and some cultures still do. We have someone in our church who wear it based on the custom they have. It's not wrong to do it. We don't do that, and we don't manifest it because it's not the custom to do that here. And the principle is more important than the practice. And the principle is submission. Okay, and the principle is, are you doing things with an attitude, and where's your heart attitude? If you want to wear a covering to, to exhibit that, that's okay, but it's not the expectation of that. As long as everything else shows what you're doing is not to be a distraction. As a woman, you're, you're doing it in a way that honors God, and especially honors your spouse. Same thing applies for us. Okay, some guys have a little longer hair than others or have facial hair. What are we doing? Are we doing it for ourselves or are we doing it for the glory of God? Okay, we represent God. God did that and gives us the point that what they get to see is, is God within us. Which is kind of mind-boggling because most of the time we don't do a good job of that. Thank you. Let's pray. God, I, I, uh, this is a hard discussion, and we're going to have a little bit more when we get to chapter 14 to elaborate on that in 2 Corinthians, Lord, just to help us. You know, it's, these are tough things that we want to decide to do, and the world's changing around us, and, you know, it's navigating how do, we, how do we honor them when we see so much of what they're doing is against what your word says, Lord. So we need wisdom that comes from you, and, Lord, um, we need to, to trust you to know where, where we, you've called us specifically to deal with and what to do, Lord, and help us to, um, to show your goodness, not to be a stumbling block. I mean, I don't want to offend people in such a way that, you know, somebody doesn't come to Christ, but I also don't want a baby to die, and I see the challenges that we have. It's not an easy decision on this, but your Holy Spirit, you know this, God. You know exactly what we need to do at the right time, so... We need your guidance. We need the power of your spirit to discern those things, to divide the truth in the moment, Lord. And we pray you give us that wisdom. We pray we be sensitive to your spirit, Lord. You Help us. There's so many other areas that we need to address. We're worried about some of those things when there's other stuff in our life that we maybe need to spend more time focusing on. Help us to take care of those things first so that we can be ready to, to, to step into what you've called us to if, if we're in those difficult situations, Lord. So we pray you have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.